Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. Thank you for ranking me number one year after year, dating back to 2000. That's 22 straight years, Jackson. I know, it's crazy. You've only been alive for two years where I wasn't ranked number one. Yeah, and those two years were my least favorite years of my life. Nice. Thank you. 65780 is how you can agree with that. It's also a 101 ESPN app. It's how you can leave a mic drop. Do we have any? I have not looked yet. See, that's why I, I tend to do it right away. I also know you just walked behind the board like nine seconds ago. Yeah, so it's it might be a little tough right now, but hey, I can I can do that during the segment, listen to it in the break, and we'll have some some outstanding mic drops. Hopefully, I mean I can only hear what people send in. Right, one hundred and one ESPN app is how you can leave them. So let me ask you this: What's the lead? The what's lead? the lead? Because I think what we got at TMA, which is more of a an intense kind of NPR mm, yes. sports talk show may be different than here. On TMA, the lead probably is Missouri. But that's because a couple of members of the show actively and publicly pulling Missouri. And that led to some consternation from some Missouri fans, that being the Plowhawk and Iggy. On this station, on this show, is the lead the Phillies and the fact that Ali Marmol did an interview with Rick Hummel and talked about what uh, what he'd like to do different, if anything. And the fact that the Cardinals were two outs away from going one up and putting them on the brink of elimination. And since then, they've lost, uh, what, what are they, a total of at this point, like 10-2 and two in the playoffs? Is my math right? 11-2? and two? Yeah. Think. Four plus three mm. plus two. Mm. Nine. Nine. Nine and two. Nice. We're good. We're talented. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm ranked number one. Yep. Um, is it the Blues? I was watching Missouri. I was watching the Blues, both at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Were you watching the Blues as well? <laughs> you you asked that knowing I was in attendance. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a prosecutor. Yeah. And you don't ask questions of your witness without knowing the answer. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. no, Chris I, Darden didn't have that no, I was, buttoned up in 95. I was at Faro Field uh, watching the Tigers, so it would not be possible for me to watch both. Uh, but I was supporting. I was there in spirit. I bet you were. You were in Alberta. Yep. yep. My spirit, spirit was, was in Alberta. My spirit was physically, a, you were at Faro Field. Yeah, phys- I, physically, I wish I was anywhere else at some points, but yeah. Um, is the lead Missouri? Is the lead uh, the Yankees getting swept and Brian Cashman and, and Aaron Boone having people calling for their jobs? The New York Post this morning. You tell me. You tell. The nice thing for you is you can tell. What about the fact that we guaranteed the Jaguars would cover? <laughs> no, lost money on that one. Yeah. Did we bet on anything? No, I, I made sure that we did not. Even right. though I think if. Because I honestly, I'm like, all my things that I was on didn't win. And I'm like, God, I bet I have to Venmo Jackson mm-hmm. 20 bucks or maybe 40 bucks. But I've just completely forgotten about it. We stayed away from it. That's good. That's nice. We stayed away from it. The lead. What is the lead? You know, locally, you only really had two local teams. Jeremy Rutherford at 1045, by the way, with the Rutherford Report. Right. So you only had two active. I guess college football just gets a little bit more lead emphasis because they play fewer games, meaning each game is more important. 
uh, and this was their first conference win. The lead is always what is this audience most interested. That's how I think of a lead. That's that, how I think of a lead. Yeah, that's probably the Blues shutting out a potent offense in the Edmonton Oilers. I would agree with you. I think that's the right call. I yeah. think down the hallway when we play grab ass on HD2, I think it was Missouri, and I think here it's the Blues. Yep. And I don't know. I don't know where the audience is on this part of it, but I'm really intrigued with this team at this point right now. And I guess maybe it's because, and granted, it's only three games, and we're most likely not going to see him tonight. The way Jordan Bennington's playing, I didn't take for granted that what we saw in the second half of the Wild series and the brief appearance in the Avalanche series that that was going to carry over for Jordan Bennington. But that has been what we have seen so far. Mm. And granted, it's three games. I mean, the San Jose Sharks have played eight games. The Blues have played three. This is a phenomenon. <laughs> it's wild. Um, but the, the we've seen it. And to go there, and up until Justin Falk with the empty netter, that's a one-goal game, and it was essentially a one-goal lead for the entirety of the game because Krug's goal came super early. And the Blues were able to hold off that offense, adjust their style of play. A defense that dealt with two injuries in camp is doing that on the road in Edmonton. I think the fans there were going, wow, didn't expect this. What happened here? That's super impressive. And it's exciting to see. I'm anxious they get because they get a chance to see them here uh, on Wednesday night when the Blues get home and they take on Edmonton again. What adjustments both teams make, because you know that's going to happen, just four days separated. Tonight they get Winnipeg. But I love what I'm seeing because they're playing. T- they're they're able to adapt styles and execute both. And so this has been really fun to watch, and I'm looking forward to watching him play tonight against Winnipeg. But what you're getting from Jordan Bennington is at this moment. Granted, you're talking about three games, but what you're getting from Jordan Bennington at the moment is super encouraging, and it's very exciting because. And listen, maybe people didn't have this. Qu- I feel like I, I I see more texts in the Air Comfort Service text line about Grice and the Blues' backup goaltending situation, but that's because you viewed it as having two NHL starters on the roster last year, and I don't know if people, certainly Panger's high on Grice, but I don't know if fans are as high on Grice. Um, so I think that's why it gets a lot more attention. But I just didn't go into the year not saying I didn't think he was going to do it. I just wanted to see how he would do it because keep in mind, seven months ago, the guy lost his job. And out of the gate to do what the Blues have done and what Bennington specifically has done is super encouraging. So from that standpoint, to do what they did in Winnipeg on, or excuse me, in Edmonton on Saturday leading into Winnipeg tonight, uh, super exciting. And how great would it be if they can head back to St. Louis 4-0? Jackson, you can't go 82-0 without going 3-0. I haven't heard a truer statement said this morning so far, so... Yeah. Outside of the fact that your spirit was in Alberta. It was. It was. Supporting those boys. Boy, Edmonton is far up north in Canada. Jackson with a geographic observation at 10.09. This really time cool check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. We don't have the geographic observation sponsored, so if your business would like to jump on that, uh, you can email me at teamrecurrent at insidestl.com, and I'll pass it along to the sponsors and the sales staff. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I'll give you anywhere you want to know. <laughs> you want some geographic insight. Uniforms what about Singapore? I think it throws people off. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, our friends to the east or west, depending on how you look at the globe. That's I mean, why this segment is just a hit. I mean, you can take the shortcut and go east, or you can go, or I'm sorry, you can go west and take the shortcut, or you can go around the globe and go east. It's, you know, best of both worlds. If I literally. were a great teammate, I would just help you out here and jump in and, like, say, play a soundbite. But I'm letting you wander through this Singapore discussion. 
that that was triggered simply by boy Edmonton. That's way up there. I mean, I mean, you look at a map and you're like, man, if there's one outlier on this map of where the NHL teams have to play, Edmonton's way up there. Oh my God, I can't imagine how cold it gets in the winter. I think it's cold here. Oh, yeah, you're not going to find these takes anywhere else. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, if you can play Edmonton early in the year, Chris Russo and Stephen A. Smith to match this geography discussion. Yeah, I mean, if you you want to play Edmonton in October, opposed to so you January, think the schedule February, actually benefits the Blues. Hundred percent. Some teams have played seven and eight games, but the Blues got to Edmonton in October. Advantage Blues, big time. I mean, you, you leave that you leave Edmonton with a win and without a cold or some sort of flu like symptoms, double victory. Nice. I'm, I couldn't be higher on this note. This note bunch. If uh, I'll sponsor this segment for five dollars and a pair of my boy panties, well, that's where the bidding starts. Yeah, I mean, so five dollars and I value the boy panties at about twenty bucks. So that's a twenty-five dollar all-in package. Yep. So, so if you want to, if you want to match that, yeah. Tim Kernan, live auction going on it's here. A live auction for for Jackson's geography. Yep. All right, Jackson, you had that as the lead. What's second? Probably the Tigers. Are the only the second, the only other local team, somewhat local. Um, who played this weekend? Yeah, I guess from, if you look at it from a local standpoint, I just don't know relative to the 101 ESPN audience if Missouri Vanderbilt is greater than Phillies, Padres, Yankees, Astros. Although Yankees, Astros was kind of like Cardinals, Nationals in 2019. It happened very quickly, and there wasn't a whole lot of excitement to it. No, there was not. Wow. What a just bad series. And as we discussed here back in August, although for different reasons, because Harrison Bader hit yet another home run last night, so Harrison Bader is not the reason why Yankees fans are upset. But Joel Sherman in the New York Post this morning writing that uh, they have to make changes, whether it's Cashman who's out, his contract's up at the end of this month, or Boone is out, or somebody in the front office is out. Some changes have to be made because they have played the Astros in 17, 19, and 22, and it's the Astros who go to the World Series yet again. And it is six straight ALCSs for the Astros. Yeah. I, I kind of get uh, some parallels to the Colorado Avalanche with the Astros this year where they're like— Wow, hold on a second here. Well, they're just like—I co- like I feel like at this point, up until the play of the Blues, the Avalanche were undefeated in— the playoffs and only well, had it was one. only one series, right? But they only had one loss, and that was to the Blues. And so it's like just dominating a lot of the regular season and bringing it into the postseason. I feel like we're kind of yeah. getting a similar I th- thing. I, f- I feel like the perception going into the playoffs, which sounds super dated now, was that the Dodgers were the team, mm-hmm. and that in the American League you had the Astros as the team, and if they could survive this new format, that they would be on a collision course. And I think I'd be more interested in it, honestly, if it were, although the Phillies are just the Phillies of the 2011 Cardinals. They didn't have to play as hard as the 2011 Cardinals did, and they actually kind of were messing around a little bit in September. They weren't on a heater in mm-hmm. September. The Phillies right. were not at, yeah, the end of, at the end of September. But ever since uh, Ryan Helsley and uh, the Cardinals on a Friday afternoon— it has been nonstop for the Phillies, and uh, when you were able to put Wheeler and Noel out there, uh, but still the, the Astros are minus one seventy-five. Yeah, and I think World that's. Series. I think that's. I think a lot of people are waiting for the shoe to drop, kind of on the Phillies, and they've been. And when they yes, play, I was. <laughs> but when they're playing at home, man, they are the, the the fan base is right behind them. The scene of watching Bryce Harper circle the bases after that eighth inning home run yesterday was unbelievable. It was like 
people are going bananas. Well, so. it was the perfect circumstances. 100%. You're down by a run. You lose that game. Listen, you lose that game. I would have come in here and bet you that the Padres win the series. Mm-hmm. And they're, what, six outs away, five outs away when Harper hits that home run. And you're doing it in those conditions. That game probably is not played if it's August. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just kind of forcing it through. And they are not expecting much offense. The Padres get their run on a wild pitch, one of many from Sir Anthony Dominguez. And people are going, oh, boy, we might blow it. And then Harper comes through. The guy who signs that huge contract in that moment at home sends his team to the World Series with a clutch play. Uh, That is a signature moment in Philadelphia sports history for a team that at this moment is just riding the hot hand. I don't know how many times in the first couple months we were doing this show, we got Kyle Schwarber texts. Yep. Yeah. And he is just... Raking. raking. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I, I I personally like I love seeing great sports towns like Philly like get the chance to be in there. Like your top four sports towns in America. St. Louis, uh Philly, I'll say Pittsburgh. Writer if you have one. Uh Pittsburgh and I'll go uh Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh and I'll go Boston. Those are my top four. Just all out support. I think those four are like Kind of like, and Boston being like a bigger market, but the way that they, I mean, their sports are part of their culture. So well, they've they've also had like two of the greatest decades. Yeah, a city has had no doubt. I'm surprised by the Pittsburgh play. Yeah, I just this the way this how the Steelers are supported, and I just feel like more, and that's maybe not the Midwest, but those Midwestern like Rust Belt cities, like sports are part of the identity of the city to a huge extent. Where in L.A. and New York. LA more so less than New York, but it's just not because there's so much to do. and transient. Yeah, and there's much more to do in those cities, and there's much more identity outside of that. But like team, like Cleve, like when Cleveland wins or when Pittsburgh is in there, or Philly to an extent, because yes, it's a bigger market, but still their sports are so part of their identity. I just like seeing that, and I like seeing fans out there who have been through the ups and downs and get a chance to go to the World Series. I love that. So you're happy for the Phillies, and the Phillies yeah. will take on the Astros starting on Friday night. Uh, once again, Houston is a minus one seventy-five favorite. I gotta tell you, j- j- just straight numbers. I'm surprised that the Astros are that big of favorites. Yeah, it is surprising. But but I recognize their rotation is red hot. Here's a little fun fact for no one tell. Uh, the Rockies went undefeated going into the World Series in 2007. I can't imagine many people remember that World Series. Who did the Rockies play in 2007? Go Boston Red Sox. Nice. Tip of the cap. We I can got, name we got, the final, we got the final out uh, for the Red Sox. Who's on mound? Oh, boy. Three. Papelbon? Yes. I was just thinking Red Sox closers. Nice Todd like Heldon, did he get the last out? I feel I, like I, I, can't, a ground I, can't, ball. I can't comment on that. Yeah, I should not can't comment on that. I was going to save that for the next segment, which will start at 10.50. <laughs> but um, they won all their games, and then they got swept. Yeah, boy. The Royals won all of their games going into the World Series in 2014 when they lost to Madison Bumgarner, who pitched like in every single game. Yeah. Point being, it hasn't necessarily been a good omen for teams. No, and it's and once you meet like the Astros are, they've won every game, and but it's not like been like eight nothing wins. I mean, we've talked about against Seattle, that was probably the most difficult sweep. And they had to come back last night, and yeah. they were able to do it against the Yankees who jumped out to a lead, but that thing was just not happening. Nope. It just was not happening for the Yankees. All right, we'll take a commercial break. Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us at 1045. Your questions are welcome at 65780. It's where you can send your text for the Air Comfort Service text line. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. It's Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1045 as the Blues try to make it four straight to open the 2022-2023 season this evening in Winnipeg. Blues at Jets right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game getting underway at 6 p.m. That's right here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Action Jackson, you were in attendance for the festivities in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday where the eyes of the college football world had their focus right at the 50-yard line. Mm, I was, yeah, great seats. Um, and just you seemed... stayed for the entirety of the game? No, I did not. No, I did not. I uh, left a little after halftime because Columbia, Missouri is a wonderful town. On a wonderful homecoming afternoon, I wanted to do something else and maybe watch the Tigers on TV while doing something else. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I just Where'd you go? I uh, just back to my buddy's place. We watched the game, did some drinking with some friends. You know, kind of enjoyed the nice weather and enjoyed the the scene as opposed to just kind of sitting there. And yeah, it wasn't. We were looked at. It said twenty minutes and halftime, and then come back to this. I said, ah. It was seventeen to nothing. At that it was seventeen time. to nothing. Yeah, I thought the game was somewhat in hand, um, but you know, things can get away from you. But and they did. Yeah, big time. But at the end of the day, it picked up the victory. Conference win is a conference win, uh, and you move on and hopefully can keep it close or even beat South Carolina. The spread is only four and a half points at this moment against South Carolina. And I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that means Missouri cannot win. That means Missouri will. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying I would have guessed that spread would be a touchdown or more. Yeah. Not like 15, but somewhere in between. I would have said it like it's seven and a half. Um, and the number started, I think, at five and a half, and yep. it's now down to four and a half. Yeah, which makes me think that people are trying to or may possibly get that line down. I don't South know. South Carolina beat Texas A&M on Saturday, and they beat Kentucky and Lexington uh, the, the yeah. week, two weeks beforehand. They had a bye going into Texas A&M, so Missouri will play there on Saturday. Now, this is this is regards to college football ho- uh, coaches and firings and hirings, and you see how quickly they can get uh, whacked. I, I received some hell from some Missouri fans because I wasn't as high as many were on Eli Drinkwitz, either when he was hired or after some recruiting classes, and I guess maybe I was not as high on the LSU win in 2020 or the Florida win in 2021. And I recognize that, but I give my honest opinion, even if it's not popular. Now I feel like I actually may be higher on Eli Drinkwitz than most Missouri fans. Do you follow that oh, reasoning? Because yeah. I think so, so many people now are so down on him. And that's not to say that I am high on him. What I'm trying to convey is I feel like a lot of people are now, who are Missouri fans, are either super down on him or done yeah. with him. Oh, yeah. And my premise, in particular in, in, in with regards to Missouri football, is it just can't be a revolving door. Because Missouri, you know, Doug Vaughn and I were having this conversation. We might have been having it off the air. He's like, yeah, Ole Miss can get Lane Kiffin. Why can't Missouri go out and get, you know, X, Y, Z? Part of it has to do with the revenue Missouri generates from football is not there with most of the other programs in the SEC, and it doesn't have the budget that the other programs and most of the other programs in the SEC do. And so that plays a role in it. And therefore, if you are going to terminate Eli Drinkwitz, which at this point some fans would like to see them do, assuming that there is not a couple of magical surprising wins 
uh, the rest of the way, and they play what three top twenty-five teams in their final five games. Am I correct on that, Jackson? South Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and Kentucky. Yep. Uh, and they have New Mexico State as a freebie win, and Arkansas to wrap things up. That they should move on. Now, not everybody is saying that. I want to make that clear. But from my standpoint, I would like to see him get a fourth year, not because I'm enthused by what I'm seeing offensively. I'm stunned by what I'm seeing offensively. Stunned by it. Defensively, however, at this time last year, they were dreadful. And, yeah, Eli Drinkwitz isn't known as a defensive mind. He came here as an uh, App State's offensive guru as one year as a head coach, and that's what he was supposed to do in Columbia. And it just is not there. But it's not there beyond Brady Cook. It's the offensive line in particular that I highlight. And so when I look at this, um, even if they were to go 4-8, and eight, I don't want to see him lose his job. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine if they do go 4-8, and eight, you're going to have a healthy percentage of Missouri fans. Not That doesn't mean everybody. That doesn't even mean 75% want Missouri to move on from Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, I, I could I could understand that, and uh, I hear where they're coming from, but I'm with you on that, where the revolving door thing is signals bad things to coaches, and like you said, they're not really in the mix for Lane Kiffins or some other bigger-name coaches. So if you're trying to get a mid-major coach or someone else or a coordinator at a Power 5 school to come to Missouri, showing them that guys don't get you know the standard three, four, or five years uh, to get a chance to show what their program can do, is, is a really bad signal, and Mizzou isn't really at the point where they can be doing that. People point to Tennessee and the success they've had now with Hypel, but Tennessee is a, a brand more synonymous with success in, in football. And so with Mizzou, I don't think it's a good thing to do that, and I do agree that the defense especially has shown incredible progress um, this season. You know, We look at it from last year to this year, even from Kansas State to this year. It's been a significant improvement on defense. And offensively, yeah, they're, they're lackluster, but it's not going to be one day they're going to wake up and figure out what to do on offense. This is the offense. This is the 2022 Missouri Tigers offense. It's going to be a lot of run plays, a lot of screen pass, a lot of gadget plays, and not many big plays downfield. Jackson, you got to set your uh, top four uh, in the college football playoff right now. Go. I'm going to go with Georgia. Okay, Georgia's in. I'm going to go with – now it gets difficult. I'm going to go with Ohio State. Okay. I will go with – now Now this is where it gets difficult because it, then you get the question of Alabama or Tennessee, and then you also have the West Coast teams of Oregon. You know, what's, Oregon has looked like a completely different team since they opened up the season against Georgia. So I'll say Oregon, and I will say Oregon's going in. Yeah, and so you I'll, got Georgia, you got Oregon, you got Tennessee, and who else? Why? No, I have Ohio State. I know. Ohio State, and then Georgia, Oregon, Ohio State, and, and who's going to get the final nod? I will go with. I could see a situation where Alabama gets into the SEC after Ole Miss lost. I'll go. Alabama would beat like Georgia, and then both get in. So I'll go Alabama. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, State and, and Oregon. Oregon. Yep. I feel like we've seen that Final Four yeah, it seems a like, time or two. Right, it seems like. So you're year. expecting Clemson to lose a game. Yeah, but the ACC is just not not it this year, and so I feel like they'll get weighted against them. Um, so, yeah, I, I – Well, I, all they have left is at Notre Dame, which is not exactly no, glorious this year. No. At home against Louisville, getting ready to fire their coach. At home against Miami, speaking of a mess, that yeah. is a mess – and uh, and home against the Gamecocks, who the Fighting Tigers will take on this Saturday. Yeah, and I could, I mean, that 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 could be an interesting game. But 
this just goes to show you the CFP current system of four teams is just not the way to do it. Like you're going to have someone's going to be left out and it's going to be ridiculous. But I can't wait right. for a 12-team playoff. It's and I so think this better. year in particular, because Alabama has a loss and because Tennessee is undefeated, also keep in mind this, Michigan's undefeated. Mm-hmm. And the way it's going to work out is, if things hold to form, uh, if Tennessee were to lose to Georgia and then Georgia wins the SEC East, okay, yep. then you could have a one-loss Tennessee team. Yeah. Bidding, you know, yeah, big time on the outside looking in because they wouldn't have an opportunity to lose another game. That's operating on the premise that they are able to hold off the Missouri Tigers, which, which is no lock. Thank you for saying it. There's no lock. Now they have Kentucky this week at Georgia and home against Missouri at South Carolina and at Vanderbilt. Point being, uh, when you include Oregon in the conversation, who beat undefeated UCLA this week, and Clemson, who is still undefeated, just certainly not getting as much attention. They made a quarterback switch midway through the game in their comeback against Syracuse, although Dabo Swinney immediately said following the game that, uh, you know, DJ uh, is our quarterback, that this thing is going to be wide open in part because Alabama has a loss, and that's what opens it up. But you have a bunch of SEC teams now either undefeated or with one loss, and that's what opens it up to the chaos, in particular with Michigan and Ohio State still being undefeated as well. It is 1031 in St. Louis. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of it, Ali Marmol talks with Rick Hummel about his decisions in the NLDS or NL wildcard game against the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, breaks that down really thoroughly, as well as Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1045. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Jeremy Rutherford coming up in eight minutes with the Rutherford Report. Jackson, what were you watching yesterday at 515 p.m.? 5.15 p.m. I don't have time for you to dilly-dally with the answer. It's a straight answer. Uh, I was watching Red Zone. I was just watching oh, really? Yeah, NFL games go back and forth. I was outside with the family, mm-hmm. barbecuing. Annie Guns Burgers, by the way. Ooh. How do you do? Ooh. Uh, and it was tough to barbecue with the hawk up. Yeah, I need windy. a pro tip on how to handle barbecuing with the hawk up. Umbrellas, I assume. Windshields. Wind, yes, a windshield. Uh, 65780 for your pro tip on barbecuing. Grilling, Weber kettle. Charcoal, of course, right? Tar- charcoal, yes, outside yeah. until I die. Uh, and so I'm watching the Padres and the Phillies because I'm financially invested in the Padres. Right. And now I have to liquidate some assets because it didn't hit. But what stood out to me while watching that ninth inning when the Phillies call on David Robertson to close it out following the dramatic Bryce Harper bottom of the eighth home run to give them a lead and take them three outs away from their first World Series since they met the Yankees in 2009 was that they yanked David Robertson when he got into trouble. He wasn't on. It was a tough, tough day to pitch for everybody. Game, as I said, wouldn't have been played if this were a regular season game. They were forcing this one through. And he gets Ranger Suarez up. And he winds up closing out the game because Robertson was off. And all I could think, two things. Here's the team. The Cardinals were two outs away from going one up on in a three-game series. Uh, And then secondarily, man, it would have been nice if the Cardinals would have had that same kind of proactive action. And I'm wondering if Rob Thompson of the Phillies thought about that at all when he called Suarez up. Because he called Suarez up, I think, after one runner was allowed. Mm -hmm. And then he yanked him after two runners were on. Uh, Not easy to do. 
but you do what you got to do. And that's what he did. And so Ali Marmol, certainly still a source of consternation for Cardinal fans. And it, it might be exacerbated now with the fact that the Phillies are in the World Series and the Cardinals were two outs away from having them down 1-0 in a best of three. Ali Marmol doing an interview with Rick Hummel. Uh, says the following, I would have done everything the same in the playoffs, to be honest with you. And then he did some in one decision he would have made differently. He would have removed Ryan Helsley after Helsley had walked two hitters to fill the bases in the ninth inning of game one before Helsley hit Alec Bohm to force in the first of six runs the Phillies would score in the ninth in a 6-3 victory. That's it, Marmol said. I don't regret a whole lot. Uh, so that is Ali Marmol on the ninth inning. And he goes on to say, when you have a guy that's really good and has been good all year and you're going to replace him with somebody who's generally not as good, and he had Palante and Flaherty up for the record, uh, but not until later on in the inning, you've got to trust the fact that he's going to figure it out in that particular bat. And he didn't. When Yachty or Mad Dog, talking about Mike Maddox, went out there, if Helsley had said anything about his finger, we would have taken him out, and that wasn't the case. Even the next day, when I brought him into the office, I asked him, why didn't you say something was hurt? He said, because it wasn't. If I was hurt, I would have signaled to the dugout. It was stiff, and I couldn't finish the pitches, but nothing hurt. And I felt fine when I went out there for the eighth inning. That's uh, Ali Marmol talking to Rick Hummel in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, two things on that. Number one... Tell me if I'm off on this, but I recall Marmol specifically talking about Helsley's finger in the ninth inning as causing problems. Right. You well, do remember that? After Friday's game. After yeah. Friday's game. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, I suppose if we're going to play semantics here, and I have nothing against Ali Marmol, so this isn't like some agenda-driven observation. It's just recalling what transpired. He talked about how he didn't have any feeling in his finger, and he told them that, and that's when they yanked him. But whether you're hurting or you don't have any feeling, it's kind of six dozen in one hand, you know. Half a dozen the other. Yeah, yeah, or six in one hand, half a dozen the other. I just, I, I, if you can't feel, you don't have the proper grip. And that's why he couldn't locate the fastball. And it seemed to start in the Harper at bat, which is where things got away from because he had him one, two. Mm -hmm. He's a strike away from the Cardinals being an out away. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that's with. No offense. Yeah, a, literally zero one offense. Yepa's home run. Yeah. So uh, from from that standpoint, I'm not saying he's like covering something up here. It's just it, it it's inconsistent yeah, with what was said are, after the game. Yeah. The timelines aren't matching up. Yeah. Yeah. It's confusing because I I do recall that like hearing that they came up to Helsley and he's like I can't really feel out of this and that's why they brought him out. That's correct. So the idea that. He talked to him later and said that and said I would have said something, but I, I and I like you said, nothing against Marmol. I just trying to locate the timeline here. Because he did talk about how Helsley said he didn't have feeling. Yeah. I mean it's just it's so unfortunate. Now, looking at the Cardinals, I still and now it's it's results oriented because I've seen the other teams play. I just don't think that you know they had it mm -hmm. when you're looking at what the Phillies are doing, getting the bats going that they have going in addition to the Wheeler-Nola one-two punch. I still think the Phillies are exposed at the back end of their bullpen, and they really dodged a bullet on Friday night with Jerks and Profar check getting swing. called for a check-swing strikeout. That was a terrible call, in particular in that moment. 
It's not in line with the rule. I think there's a misnomer that if you break the plane of home plate that it's a strike. That's actually not the rule. There has to be intent to swing. He's dodging an inside pitch on 3-2, and it's first and second, nobody out. You would never know I had money on the Padres hearing me talk. You would (laughs) never know that this is coming from somebody financially uh, tied into it. Uh, He also talked about uh, Giovanni Gallegos and pulling him. He said Helsley wasn't initially targeted pitch more than one inning in the game, but he had replaced Gallegos, who was programmed to go two frames after Gallegos had walked number 8 hitter Bryson Stott with a two-run lead with one out in the eighth. And Marmol said, quote, Geo's bad with the running game. Stott would have stolen second and third off of him. Uh, bold, but okay. <laughs> and cut the lead in half. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, this that's... is like office space in the jump to conclusions <laughs> games. Uh, and cut the lead in half. By walking Stott, that forced me to bring in someone who is good at the running game, and that's Helsley. So that's what contributed to making that change and trying to get five outs. If Geo gets Stott, I would have let him finish that inning for sure. Stuff just didn't work out. Do I think any one person blew it? No. Goldie and Arenado just didn't feel great going into that series. Helsley, if he had said he was hurt, I would have yanked him immediately, but he didn't. You look at Geo's outing that day and Helsley's outing, none of them had command of their stuff. Hicks got through his inning, but he was very erratic. He had no idea where it was going. It was cold. I don't, I don't know what to say. I just I feel like this is like different than what was talked about right after the game. And maybe he has more information now than he did, but he did talk about Helsley saying he didn't have feeling in his finger. He right. did talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a talking point on Friday after the game. I, I, it's it, it's odd to like now, a couple weeks later, it's... And then the, then the automatically stat steal in second and third? I mean, yeah, I, I realize you don't have to deal with Yadier Molina anymore, but, you know, I don't know <laughs> how Yadier Molina would feel about that. Taking third? Yeah. Like, I mean... Like Vince Coleman in 85. Yeah, it's this, not... This is really kind of a, you know, I don't know. And he said the one thing you do differently is he'd pull Helsley before Bohm. Yeah, and that... And oh, God, watching right. that. It was just, it was like a slow motion car crash. Uh, all right, uh, your thoughts? We're getting plenty still. It's been 16, 17 days and people still fired up about it. But it's a best of three series. It's a, it, it's a world changer. Happen. The yep. Philadelphia Phillies are probably not in the World Series, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but there it is. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford's going to join us with the Rutherford Report on the other side of the break. Looking forward to talking it over with him as the Blues have started so strong and doing it in different ways. Jordan Bennington with the shout-out on Saturday in Edmonton. Most likely Grice tonight uh, in Winnipeg, which you can hear right here on 101 ESPN. Blues at Jets pregame at 6 p.m. Rutherford Report next on 101 ESPN. This is Balloon Party. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back. Tim McKernan with you for 10 more minutes than uh, BK and... Uh, Donnie Fandango in today. Oh, really? How about that? That's awesome. Yeah, how about that? That's up. Bill's uh, on a bye. But, uh, What's that? The Bill's, oh, Bill's on a, yeah, he's the a big Bill's, Bill's guy. The Bill's are on a bye. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford uh, is with us for the Rutherford Report. And I don't know if you heard Jackson's breakdown of Edmonton's geography, but uh, wow, <laughs> what a segment. 
I got to go back and listen to the podcast. No, I you don't. In the building here at uh, Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine, though, Timmy. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it, was, it was up there with the Ryan O'Reilly uh, carrot top comparison that he did a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I'm red hot. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Rutherford with the Rutherford Report. I'm telling you, man, I am, I'm intrigued by a wide variety of things. I really enjoyed and made a recommendation to reading J.R. story on theathletic.com about uh, the Blues adjustments for Saturday's win against the Oilers. Uh, let's start with this, what Jordan Biddington has done out of the gate. People were talking about it already through the first two games, and then you go and shut out Edmonton and uh, that offense, in particular that line, and that gets people talking even more. And that was a unique spot because Krug's goal came so early that the Blues are basically managing that one nothing lead all the way until Falk's empty netter, and they were able to keep the Oilers' offense in check. So let's let's start with Bennington's performance so far and on Saturday. What are you seeing? What his teammates and coaches saying? He's just playing great, and uh, they see it too. And a couple of them said after the game the other night in Edmonton, you can just tell this year he's determined. Uh, he wants to have a great season. He wants to bounce back from last year. And you know, I was trying to be careful in the preseason and first couple games not to get too far with uh, Bennington because it, it was just a few games. But I just like his demeanor. I like where he's at. You talk to him in the locker room. He's at ease. He he seems like the Bennington from a couple of years ago. And we all know why it's a different situation this year. I, I think a big thing of it is. Not having Billy Husso behind him, you know, he's a guy who could definitely challenge you for starts. Bennington had a lot of pride, Tim. He wanted to come back and establish himself as that number one goaltender. We all know how long that contract is, and he wanted to prove that he was that guy. So I think when you talk to Jordan Bennington, that's the biggest thing is he seems like the Jordan Bennington of old. That is so great to hear. I mean, five five and a half months ago, we're going, man, are the Blues going to trade Bennington? You know, I mean, Husso starting things against the Wild, and then he comes in and plays like he did against Minnesota in the first couple of games against Colorado, and how things have gone so far this season. I mean, it is an absolute 180, uh, not just for, from Bennington's perspective, but I think the way fans now view him and that contract. Are you calling fans fickle? <laughs> I'm I'm calling Jackson fickle, and any any time the fans get attacked, I just blame Jackson and I try to move on. That's the way that I handle things. Can someone define fickle for me? I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> hey, th- another thing that you broke down, and this was really uh, intriguing, I thought, because the way the Blues kept the Oilers in check was the uh, the F three, the third forward in the zone, and kind of staying back in the zone, and then broke down a specific play uh, when Ryan O'Reilly stayed back in the neutral zone and, and broke up. Uh, uh, the Oilers going on the attack, and that was an intensive adjustment that the Blues made, knowing that they were going up against certainly a different caliber of offense than they were facing a couple nights beforehand in Seattle, and how they were able to execute that, and then also combine that with the play of Pareko, certainly under the microscope as well, and Nick Letty, who had a hell of a game. Uh, your analysis of uh, that adjustment and the way the players were able to execute it against the Oilers on Saturday, Jr. Jackson has disconnected Jeremy Rutherford because he made fun of him. And that is what has just happened. An absolutely stunning development here. We got too hockey intensive. You want to focus on the Lakers being 0-3, and you cut the man off. It's a sponsored segment, so I hope these dollars come directly out of your paycheck. I hope I, I your wages not. are garnished candidly, and if they're not, I'll find you in a back alley and I'll take it out of your pocket. I think this all comes down to the Canadian uh, cellular signal. I don't oh, know wow. what's going Kelly on. Kelly Chase is going to text me, I don't and know. I have a feeling Jeremy. That's oh my god, that's Jamie Rivers' music. He's going to show up. Oh boy, I actually you, you, you attack Canada. 
I don't know what's going on. Uh, give me a moment. Though. I'm going to try to get JR back on. If you would, Tim, kind of vamp for a couple seconds here. Well, as a broadcaster, there's nothing you enjoy more than when your producer says, if you could just vamp for a moment. Well, I'll read some texts from the 636 F you, Jackson, except I edited that. <laughs> uh, ask Jeremy how Bruce Nevich is doing. That's from the 314. Uh, Jackson has now reconnected with and I am going to ask him about Bruce Nevich. I know it's one of his favorite players to cover. Uh, JR is back with us with the Rutherford Report as Jackson felt like we were getting a little too into the weeds on uh, yeah. on ice hockey. <laughs> Yeah, thanks a lot, Jackson. I even wore a tie this morning to class to show up a little bit. Yeah, this is a show that could use a coat and tie look. (laughs) Absolutely. Black tie. I don't know if you heard uh, what I was talking about. Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I did, Tim. And, and, you know, it's not uncommon for teams to to make that adjustment, especially against a team like the Edmonton Oilers. You know, you hear, get on the four check, let's hound the puck, let's get into the zone. A lot of times that's a couple forwards, sometimes all three. You know, then you have teams where – you have defense pitching like the Blues, Colton Pareko coming into the zone. You can't do that with the Edmonton Oilers. The Blues made that adjustment. They held that F3 back a little bit. And I think it, it did disrupt Edmonton's transition a little, a little bit. The, all you can do is try to slow those guys down. You can't stop them from scoring three or four goals a night, although the Blues did this time, and that was part of that uh, adjustment. So great game by Nick Letty, Colton Pareko, and Brian O'Reilly's line up against that McDavid line that whole night. They did a good job. Uh, let's get an update on uh, the health of some of the players. Uh, what are we looking at here, and then what are we looking at, you think, uh, tonight? Yeah, uh, health-wise, we'll find out in just a bit. The Blues are getting ready to follow the Winnipeg Jets onto the ice here. I'm at the rink, and uh, with the health, Buchnevich and Logan Brown are the two guys that you're thinking about. Yeah. With Buchnevich, the team was off yesterday, so we didn't get a, a handle on uh, on what he's doing. But Craig Burby did say a couple of days ago that that was lingering. So without a practice, you know, unless he came out here on his own and they got a feel for it, I wouldn't expect him to be in the lineup tonight. Again, we'll see here soon. Logan Brown, another guy who Craig Ruby said a couple days ago uh, was making great progress and could have been available last game against Edmonton, but they didn't think he had enough practice time. So if he gets practice in this morning, perhaps you could see Logan Brown on the last game of this trip. And we expect to see Grice tonight? Well, we're going to find that out. You know, I look at the schedule, and I can understand the argument for Grice. You know, Bennington's played the first three, uh, coming off a big win against Edmonton. But the thing is, you got the back-to-backs later this week, Wednesday and Thursday, starts back home uh, against Edmonton on Wednesday, and then you have a game Saturday against Montreal. This is four and six, so Grice is going to get a couple games, but do you go with Bennington here and then come back with Grice in one of those back-to-back? That might be the play, but I could totally see the other argument. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you got uh, back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday, trip to Nashville following the home game against the Oilers, and then the Canadiens in town on Saturday night. You can catch everything right here on 101 ESPN Blues at Jets tonight, pregame at 6 p.m. Jeremy Rutherford every Monday on Balloon Party with his Rutherford report. And uh, Jackson only cut him off and disconnected him one time today. So we were kind of expecting it to happen three times. And uh, you only got cut off one time. So that's nice. Call restraint. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for wearing a tie to class up the show, JR. Yeah, go get a dictionary too, Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, JR. All right, see you guys. There he is, Jeremy Rutherford, with us here uh, with the Rutherford Report. And Jackson blamed the nation of Canada for the... (laughs) Someone's got to wear this one. Certainly not going to be me. Uh, Blues and Jets tonight. I'm sitting there, I'm telling you. I got got my phone resting on my laptop uh, as I'm watching, and I'm watching the Blues and the Oilers, and then Missouri and Vanderbilt on Saturday. That's, 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 That's the way I was... I got two TVs set up for tonight. We got uh, the Blues game on one end, and then I'll be going back and forth, you know, 
Grizz and Nets, and then Bulls, Celtics. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful night of sports. You have two TVs? Uh, yeah. <sighs> you looked away. No, I do. I'm, I'm going to call. Now you're biting your lower lip. Well, I'm, I might I'm, make a play on the turn, and I have nothing, by the way. I have Jack Deuce offsuit. Well, I, I, I do have two TVs. I actually have three TVs, but... Um, I'm only going to be using. Uh, now I don't know what to do. Now, now I'm, gonna, I'm only going to be using two of them. And I can't believe this just came up at 10:59. It was strategic. You're a 24 year old with three televisions in your apartment. Yep. Living by yourself. Mm-hmm. The hell are you doing? I, I don't use. I use one, but on. Tonight, but just to show your opulence to no, the on nights to like the friends tonight. of the feather. On nights like tonight, it's perfect to have two because I can have the Blues game and basketball oh, at the I same time. We have a lead tomorrow, no matter what happens in this Grizz game. Or the Blues and Jets, which you can hear coming up here in a matter of hours on 101 ESPN. Time for us to shut it down. Uh, BK and Donnie Fandango in. Yeah. How about that? Coming up here uh, on BK and Ferrario as Alex is out. That is coming up next for Action Jackson. Uh, we'd like to apologize to Canada, and you're really going to want to apologize to Jamie Rivers. He's going to be looking for you. Yeah, boy. We'll <laughs> check your six, Jackson. <laughs> uh, this has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.